Good morning, church. Colossians 1, um, 1 through 8. Ready? And I love getting to share it with you in our celestial tongue. <laughs> Pablo, apóstol de Jesucristo, por la voluntad de Dios, y el hermano Timoteo, a los santos y fieles hermanos en Cristo que están en Colosas. Gracias a ustedes y paz de parte de Dios, nuestro Padre. Damos gracias a Dios, el Padre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, orando siempre por ustedes. Pues hermanos, oído de su fe en Cristo Jesús y del amor que tienen por todos los santos a causa de la esperanza reservada para ustedes en los cielos. De esta esperanza, ustedes oyeron antes en la palabra de verdad, evangelio, que ha llegado a ust hasta ustedes. Así como en todo el mundo está dando fruto constantemente y creciendo, así lo que he estado haciendo también en ustedes desde el día que oyeron y comprendieron la gracia de Dios en verdad. Así pues, lo aprendieron de Epafras, nuestro amado consiervo, quien es fiel servidor de Cristo de parte nuestra, el cual también nos informó acerca de amor de ustedes en el Espíritu. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Paphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf And he has told us about your love in the spirit. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would use it among us today that you would help us to see what you want us to see in this text, that, that we would believe what you would have us believe, that we would feel what you want us to feel, and that by your grace in our lives, we would be what you have called us to be and do what you have called us to do because we belong to Christ And so would you help us now as we look into this text together? Would you lead us, guide us, teach us by your own Holy Spirit and change us by your grace into the people that you want us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning is The Gospel of Christ. The Gospel of Christ. Of Christ. That was the focus of these verses that Selena read to us, and this morning we're considering thanksgiving, Paul's thanksgiving, for God's grace at work in the Colossians. 
He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We'll be focusing more on the content of the rest of his prayer next week as we consider verses 9 through 14. But for today, Paul erupts in thanksgiving and praise to God for the gospel. That is what is happening in our text today, and I hope that that's what happens in our hearts as we hear it again. Whether this is your first time hearing what someone has called the gospel, or whether it's the thousandth time or the ten thousandth time. The goal of what Paul is writing and of this message today is for us to see the gospel for what it is in truth and to respond to it with faith, with joy, with love. So, That's what's going on. Today we're considering why he thanks God whenever he prays for them. And he thanks God because they have heard and understood the gospel of Christ. They've heard and understood the gospel of Christ. So the big idea that we'll be unpacking through the sermon today is this. The gospel of Christ is a true powerful message of grace and hope that produces faith in Christ and love for all who are in Christ. The gospel of Christ is a true, powerful message of grace and hope that produces faith in Christ and love for all who are in Christ. Christ. So that's where it's going. This will be up on the screen the rest of the time. So if you're frantically writing it down before it disappears, don't worry. And hopefully you'll write a few words beside each of the words that are here on the screen as we unpack them from this text, Colossians 1, 3 through 8 today. So first, as we think about this, this is the gospel of Christ. Before we talk about all the other facets of what it is and what it means and what difference it makes, it's the good news about Jesus. That word gospel, the kids know because they learned it in their classes. The gospel just means good news. That's what that word means. So sometimes we can think gospel and like, okay, that's, like, that's a church word, that's a spiritual word. And in today's culture, generally it is, but in this first culture where Christians were talking about the gospel, they were talking about good news, good news that is announced and good news that should be celebrated and that makes a difference. And so in the Bible, it is talking about a very specific kind of good news. This isn't just the general good news of the emperor and another victory. This is good news about Jesus, the gospel of Christ. It's his gospel, and it's a gospel about him. It's good news about Jesus, the good news of God's victory in Christ. That'll be one of the things that's emphasized as we move forward in this series in Colossians. Christ's victory over the powers, over anything else that would be a pretender to his throne, that he triumphed over them on the cross. So it's the good news of God's victory in Christ. And the good news for us, what really makes that good news for us, is that it's a victory in which we share as we are united to Christ by faith. Right? There could be news that's announced, and it's good news for some and not good news for others. 
right? If you're fans of a particular sports team and there's news about an injury, there's news about a score of a game, right? That's good news if it's the Phillies who hit the home run and went ahead and won the game. But it's bad news if it's someone else who did it. And thankfully, there's been a lot of good news the last four days, and they're in really good shape. So we can, like, breathe a little bit now for those who are really nervous on Wednesday. Uh, that was not in the notes, but it's just, you know, what many of you are feeling. It's good news, right? But at the same time, that's bad news for those other like three or four teams who are hoping to get spots in the playoffs. Or whenever there was good news in this first century, good news of the emperor conquered another kingdom, right? There's a whole lot of people in the other army (laughs) and in the other land for whom that good news, that gospel is not good news at all. It's very, very bad news. And so the thing that makes the gospel of Christ good news for us is that we can be united with him by faith. And united with him by faith, we share, and this should blow our minds, we share in everything that is his. Do you realize that's how the New Testament (laughs) talks about who we are and what we have in Christ? Like, all over the place? That's what we have. We share in Christ and we share all that is his. Not because of us, but because of him. And so this good news really is good news for everyone who believes. One time of year we think particularly about good news is June 19th. Now, Juneteenth. Everyone's familiar with that now, right? And that was the day when the good news that you are no longer enslaved came to the last people who were enslaved in the South. It did take a constitutional amendment a few years later to help out the poor people in Maryland and Kentucky. We'll just kind of skip that. For all the slaves in the South, that good news was announced. That proclamation that was made and didn't mean very much in the middle of a war that had not been won yet, now has been won and you are free. And it took a couple months, right? They didn't have the internet in 1865. Takes a long time to get to Galveston, Texas from Washington, D.C., But when the news finally came, news of a victory already won. You are already free. They had actually been free for more than two months, but they didn't know it yet. And then one day, a paper is posted and it spreads the news. It heralds the gospel that you are free. And that's good news that makes a difference, right? It's news that lets you know you have been set free. You don't belong to your old master anymore. You don't belong to anyone anymore. And of course, in the Bible's gospel, good news, we belong now to Christ Jesus and we are connected vitally to him. But that good news way back in 1865 that said you are free is kind of like what's happened for the Colossians. Someone came and told them the good news about Jesus and what difference it could make in 
their lives. So it's the gospel of Christ, the good news about Jesus. And as we continue considering it, the gospel of Christ is a true message. The gospel of Christ is a true message. In verse 5, it says, You have heard of this before in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth. If we are to be united to Christ, if we are to belong to Christ, we must believe in this true gospel. To come to appreciate it truly as what it is. And this good news is the only good news that saves There's no other good news that will bring sinners back into right relationship with God. There's no other good news that gives life from the dead and life that will never end. This is it, and it is true. So it's not one truth among many. It's not, hey, I've got a good idea about something you might want to consider It's not good advice, moral teaching about how to live a better life and be happier and wealthier and healthier. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is good news that we who are far off have been brought near through Jesus Christ. That we who deserve his wrath no longer are under God's judgment, but have his favor because of of Christ. It's good news, and it's good news because it's true. Have you ever fallen for fake news? I know that's kind of loaded now. Has anybody ever lied to you before? There we go. Is that better? Has anybody ever told you good news that turned out not to be true? And you're going, yes, yes, that's, and then you're looking and you're like, wait, you know, or you're talking about that wonderful news later and everyone else is looking at you like, we're really sorry, we're going to have to tell you this. Or maybe they're not sorry at all, they're delighted. <laughs> you think that's good news, but it's not. It's not true. News is powerful. The stories we tell ourselves are powerful, but they lose their power when we realize they're not true. But this good news is true now and forever. In a society where everything can be true and somehow nothing is really true, the gospel of Christ shines as a beacon of truth in a confused and dark and lost world. The gospel of Christ is a true message. And because the gospel of Christ is a true message, the gospel of Christ is a powerful message. So it's true It's the word of truth, the gospel, but it is also powerful. Verse 6, which has come to you. This gospel has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. This gospel is not just news and you hear it and go, okay, on to the next thing. Right? It wasn't the 24-hour news cycle that we have today where you can't remember the news from 10 minutes ago because you've heard three more things since then. 
All right, if you scroll the news, I have some news sites, you know, apps on my phone, and you read an article, and then you read the next article, and you're like, what was in the first article that I read? And maybe that's just me. I'm guessing, uh, even from some conversations with some of you, I don't really have to guess. It's not just me. But this is not that kind of news. That it's like there, it's like, oh, that was nice. Okay, next one, next one, next one. And if you were asked any details about the story you read 10 minutes ago, you have no idea. This is news that is powerful. It's news that is earth-shattering, that stops you in your tracks and actually saves you (laughs) and makes a difference in your life. And because it's powerful, it is bearing fruit, Paul writes. It is increasing. It is growing. It is spreading. It can't be stopped because it is powerful. As Paul writes in another place in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everyone who believes, Jew and non-Jew. This gospel, this good news, the gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation. There's lots of good things that we can do Without the gospel, there is no power of God for salvation because it is not just something God does. The gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it makes a difference in people's lives. It is powerful. And when does that power work? When it is proclaimed. The gospel of Christ is a powerful message when it is proclaimed. Later in that letter to the Romans, Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him? Right after he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We go, yes and amen. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And in that instance, he's not just talking about gathering as the church and hearing a pastor preach. He's talking about all of us who are in Christ, who belong to Christ, that we proclaim that good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's when it acts in power, when it is communicated, heard, and understood. So in their case, right, it's Epaphras. And we see that from verse 7. They learned the gospel from Epaphras, who's called our beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who's made known to us your love in the Spirit. He told them the gospel, and then they heard it and understood it. We see that in Verse 6, particularly. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world, as it also does among you. When did it start? Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So for those of you who belong to Christ, a good exercise for your joy is to think back. So for them, it's Epaphras. Who was it for you? Who was it who told you that God has loved you in Jesus? 
that even though your sins deserve God's wrath, he at just the right time sent his one and only son to live the perfect life that you were supposed to live but haven't. To die a bloody, sacrificial, atoning death on the cross. And then on the third day, to rise from the dead so that everyone who trusts in him can have life both now and forever. And ask, do you believe this? Will you believe this? Who's the person who brought this good news to you? And maybe for some of you, especially if you have grown up in the church, it's actually a list. Right? Maybe there was one person who was present at your conversion, that moment that you can point to and say, well, this is when I believed. This is when my eyes were opened. This is when I heard it and understood. But maybe you can also think of many other names and faces who told you the good news, just as so many of you get to share it with our children. That when they stand up and are baptized, saying, I belong to Jesus, I believe in Jesus. That's fruit for so many of you who have invested in them, who have told them the gospel, who have taught them the word of God in truth. And it worked in power. So maybe it wasn't just one person for you to think of and maybe even go back and thank today. Maybe it was many and we thank God God for that. And then kind of an application question for us is who knows the power of the gospel because they have heard that gospel from you? Who knows the power of the gospel because they have heard that gospel from you? There's lots of things that we love to talk about. We get passionate about them, right? About sports teams, about favorite movies, artists, bands, right? We'll even argue with other people. We'll figuratively, hopefully only figuratively, raise our fists to defend the land, right? To defend our teams, to defend our bands, whatever it is. Are we passionate like that, with that kind of love, with that kind of joy, with that kind of zeal for others to share the joy that we know because of what God has done for us in Christ. Who knows the good news and who knows the power of the gospel because they have heard it from us. So the gospel of Christ is a true message. The gospel of Christ is a powerful message as it is preached communicated and heard and understood. But what is that message? It's true, powerful, and it is a message of grace. The gospel is a true, powerful message of grace. Right? In verse 6, he said, they heard it, they heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth. Or they came to truly appreciate God's Grace. Grace is another word that's very much a church word, right? Even though it's not a big word that's like hard really to define, it's just kind of like, oh, that's, you know, it's even the name of our church, right? It's like right on the sign, Grace City Church. Like, well, I go to that Grace one. Yeah, that one, that's where I go. And that's fine, and we're glad, and we think it's an important word. That's why it's uh, in our name. 
But it can become common to us, right? It's just another word. But it's important because the gospel is a message, as Paul writes here, a message of grace, a message of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And grace essentially just means gift. Where we think of it as a church word, spiritual word, and we go, okay, what is it all? And we come up with the cool, and it's not wrong, like God's riches at Christ's expense. It's like, look at that, and even spells grace, and it's good for you to remember that. And it's true. Essentially, though, it just means gift. It means something that you can't earn. You don't earn gifts, right? I guess sometimes people might treat it that way. Right? You'd be good long enough and we'll get you this. But what happens if you do that with your child? They have earned a reward, which is not what we get. We get grace. The gospel is a message of salvation through Christ as a gift. Again, from Romans, Romans eleven six, as Paul is arguing for salvation by grace, through faith. He says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. He says, if salvation is by grace, it's not at all about our works. Because if it's at all about our works, grace wouldn't be grace anymore. A gift is not a gift if I have to earn it. A gift is not a gift if it's like, well, what do we got to do because they did that for us and now we got to do something. No, it's a gift that we receive. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's why it's by grace. None of us can get there. And this is really good news for us because None of us have either. It's not just like, well, it has to be a gift. You have to receive it. It has to be a gift because we have not earned it. What we have earned by our lives is God's wrath. What we have earned by our lives is eternal suffering away from his presence. That's what we have earned by our lives. And there's no like deciding we're going to be better now or trying to turn ourselves around or saying, I'm never going to mess up again. I'm going to always do the right thing that would fix it, even if the gospel got us back up to zero. But in God's grace, it doesn't get us back up to zero. It's not a gift of a second chance. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not the gift of a second chance. God is not a God who believes in second chances. (laughs) He's a God who, after we've blown our thousandth chance, forgives us in Christ. Isn't that good? Don't you need that kind of forgiveness? That kind of grace? It only comes as a gift. You can never earn it. And that's part of what the Colossians will struggle with. In another chapter, he's going to say, hey, remember how you got in? That's how you live. Remember how you started in Christ? That's how you continue. That's the only way. So don't get distracted with these other things that are more than Christ, because they're not. He is all we have, and he is all we need. It's a true, powerful message of grace, that though you have earned God's wrath, you receive by faith the gift 
of Christ's righteousness in your place, of his death in your place, of his resurrection in your place, and you are united to him. It's a true, powerful message of grace. The gospel of Christ is also a true, powerful message of hope. It's a message of grace and a message of hope. It's a gift, and what is the gift? He references it here in verse five. The hope laid up for you in heaven, the hope reserved for you, the hope that we read about at the beginning of our gathering today from 1 Peter 1. The gospel is a message, not just for here and now. It's for later. And that later is important. Because any of you, if you've been following Christ for any length of time, you know that following Christ doesn't mean you will be healed every time you pray for it. It doesn't mean you'll recover every time you get sick. It doesn't mean that every relationship will be restored and will be sweet and beautiful and joyful. It doesn't mean that things will go right in the world today. Sometimes when we come to appreciate the grace of God in truth and start to live like we belong to him, things will actually get more difficult for us than they would have been before. But it's not for today or next week, or next year. Now, he gives us grace for all those things. And he sustains us through all those things. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right, if we didn't have the hope of the resurrection, if Christ hasn't been raised, and if we're not going to be raised because he's been raised, like, if that's a lie, then we're the people most to be pitied. Because we may be called to sacrifice our very lives for belonging to Christ. How can we do that if we have a hope that's beyond the grave? And by his grace, we do. As we read earlier, he has caused us by his great mercy to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is our hope that he has been raised and we already spiritually are raised with him and one day physically will be raised with him bodily and will be with him and all his people with no more sin or sorrow or sickness or sadness or wrong forever. Without that hope, we have nothing. But with that hope, we have everything. And we can even lose standing, money, power, whatever power we would think we have, we can lose it all. Christ even tells us to do that. If we gain the world but lose our own soul, what do we have? But if we lose our lives for Christ, we have eternal life, which is so much better. This hope for the future is what makes all the difference for how we live here and now. And by God's grace, we want to be people. We want to be a people. We want to be a church that can't be explained apart from the story of the gospel of Christ. That our lives would not make sense to our neighbors. That our lives would not make sense to our coworkers because we are living in light of this hope 
the hope that is kept in heaven for us. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What kind of difference does this hope make? If you want for like all the differences that it makes, read 1 Peter. You can listen to a bunch of sermons we did on it like five years ago. Um, and I've kind of every year I want to preach it because it's like, oh, this, it's, this is what makes such a difference. And here's what it does. So you can go and do that later if you want to. It's rainy. You're not going out and doing anything. Later this afternoon when you're like, what should I do? You can read 1 Peter. It's not that long. It's incredible. There's a little ad for a different book of the Bible. In our text for today, there are two ways it makes a difference. There's lots more ways that it makes a difference, but in the text for today, here's the ways that it makes a difference. The gospel of Christ, then, is a true, powerful message of grace and hope that produces, first, faith in Christ. It's a true, powerful message of grace and hope that produces faith in Christ. And we see that in verse Verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The order there is important. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have all the saints, for all the saints, because of the hope laid out for you. The hope is actually what produces the different life. Hearing the good news about the hope of the gospel is what produces faith in Christ Jesus. That is the appropriate response to good news. So we asked earlier if you've ever been uh, duped by fake news, Has there ever been a time when you were convinced that something was fake news and then found out that it wasn't? Right? Instead of like, okay, we're telling you this, you got to believe us, and then they're lying to you. Has there ever been a time where maybe someone, you know, maybe a sibling, and your trust is like really low because they know that you're a little gullible? I know this doesn't apply to everyone. Right? It's like, did you know that up is written on the ceiling? Stuff like that. Don't, yeah. Okay. It wouldn't work anyway, anyway in here. Right, so maybe it's someone that was, you had kind of low trust with, and then they tell you something that would be really big and really exciting and really good news, and you're like, nah, that's not it, right? I know it can't be true, mainly because you said it. Or other news that's like so good that it, can't be true, right? It's like, there is no way. That's too good. Right, if you're a Pirates fan, do we have any Pirates fans here? You don't have to raise your hand. I understand it may not be your best move. But, so in the realm of news, if you checked on the score of the Pirates game yesterday in like the fourth inning, you're like, it's done. And I, I think I can safely say, and it's the Pirates, right? They were down nine to nothing. They hadn't won a game, I think, since the 1800s. 
in which they were down nine to nothing? Most teams don't, right? So that's not a knock about the Pirates. That's just the way that it is, right? If the Phillies go down nine to nothing in the first three innings today, you know, it's like the Eagles aren't even playing today, but I'll watch football, right? Um, Guess what, though? You check the final score, they won. And if you hadn't checked, and it's just somebody's like, hey, did you see, you know, the Pirates won today? It's like, no, I know they didn't win. They were down nine to nothing. You don't come back from that. But they did. They did. And they won. I don't know how. I didn't watch the highlights. I just saw the score. But they won. They came back. They did something they've never done. It's never happened before. Sometimes we hear news like that and go like, eh, it's too good to be true. And the gospel of Christ is certainly a message that if it were not true, would be too good to be true. Even his first followers felt that way about it, right? When he died, they weren't like, oh, you know what? He told us at least three times because it was recorded that way. It's going to be recorded that way, that he told us three times he's going to die and then rise again. They didn't say, you know what? We've been reading our Bible a lot. And the Old Testament really seems to talk about a suffering Messiah that then somehow is back again. They didn't say that at all. They hid because they were afraid that they were going to die too. And even when news started trickling in, Jesus rose from the dead. They're like, "Mm, did he though? I don't know. I mean, the first ones we heard were just a bunch of women. I'm not condoning that attitude. I got you. Right? That's what they're, they're like, no, I don't know. I mean, some people came and told us that, but we're just going to, you know, stay here. Where it's safe. Because we don't know if he really rose from the dead. But then a couple more people came and told them, and it's like, well, maybe. Right? And then Jesus shows up. It's like, okay, now we have to believe. But Thomas wasn't there. Poor Thomas. He gets such a bad rap. It could have been any of them. They all would have done the same thing. But he's doubting Thomas. Sorry, Thomas. Because he wasn't there when Jesus showed up and didn't believe, just like none of them believed until Jesus showed up. And then Jesus shows up, right? And what's his response? What's the response of faith look like? My Lord and my God. You really are alive. This message really is true. It is really worth believing, and it is really worth staking our lives on. This true, powerful gospel of hope that's a gift is a gift to be received, and it is received by faith. Faith believes in the truth of the gospel. Faith believes in the power of the gospel, not our own to save us. Faith receives the gift of of the gospel. Faith fixes its eyes on the hope of the gospel, and faith rests in the Christ of the gospel alone for salvation. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your eternal hope? Or are you kind of like, okay, I want to be good. Maybe somebody invited you here, and they seem pretty good, and it's like, I want to be good like them. I want to have a nice life like them. Jesus didn't die for you to have a nice life. He died for you to have an eternal life with him. And you take hold of that eternal life by faith, by trusting in him and his work for you 
alone. None of you, all of him. And you can trust him today. For those who are in Christ, we keep trusting in Christ day after day after day. As he'll tell the Colossians later on, it never changes to anything else. There's nothing deeper. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing more spiritual than Christ and having him. We must never shift from our hope in the gospel of Christ. So it's a true, powerful message of grace and hope that produces faith in Christ and it also produces love for all the saints. That was there in verse four as well, right? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. It produces this gospel of grace and hope that's true and powerful in its power. What does it do? It produces Love for all who are also in Christ. When we think about ourselves, the deepest, truest thing about you, if you are a Christian, is that you are in Christ. That's everywhere in Paul, especially in Colossians, even from the first couple verses that seem like just kind of the throwaway stuff, get it out of the way, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, That's the same word that's used in verse four. The saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And we get so used to that kind of language. It's like, oh yeah, the the ones in Christ. And it's because it's everywhere. But it's everywhere because it matters so much. Because that is our story. We are in Christ. It's in Christ that we die. It's in Christ that we live. It's in Christ that we have hope. And he'll be unpacking that some the rest of the way as we work through Colossians. But when we're in Christ, this gospel produces a love for all those who are also in Christ. We saw in verse four, the love that you have for all the saints. And again, that's not a word. Saints isn't Like, here's all the really good people, and they've got it together, and so there's this extra special class of Christians, uh, and it's definitely not an extra special class that, like, gets pronounced a saint, um, you know, a certain number of years after after they die because of a certain number of good things that they've done. Um, This is the word for those who are in Christ. We are holy ones, and that's a statement about who we are in Christ and what he has done for us through his life, death, death. And resurrection. So the love that you have for all the saints. And then in verse 8, he mentions that we have been told about your love in the Spirit. And so why does it produce this love? Well, if we are in Christ, we have the same story and the same destiny of everyone else who is in Christ, no matter what the circumstances of our lives may be. Sometimes we come in and we feel the differences. Right? We feel the differences in where we're from. We feel the differences in our family situations. We feel the difference in, our, in things as mundane as sports teams. We feel the, the difference in what kind of house we can afford. We feel the difference in what kind of job that we have. We feel the difference in what our uh, ethnicity is. But Paul will write in Colossians 3.11, here, like in Christ, There is not Greek and Jew, which is a significant divide. 
There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. There is not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Through our union with Christ, we are also united with one another. And this becomes the ground of our love. This is how we begin to see what we have in common rather than what we don't. So what other Christian is it hard to love right now? Because for them, like loving all the saints, that'd be everyone else in their church, and then the other Christians that they would come across, right? This letter is also supposed to be read in the church in Laodicea, a town over. We know that there's a church in Hierapolis, and so really the emphasis here is like, who are the Christians you like live with? And then who are the Christians around you that might come through and come for help? Or you might go to where they are. What other Christian is hard for you to love right now? And there can be reasons, right? Maybe it's because of sin they've committed against you or someone else. And if so, you should seek reconciliation and restoration being ready to forgive them as God in Christ has forgiven you. Maybe it's not really sin. Maybe it's just because they don't see things exactly the way that you do, right? I can never be close with them because they really come at things. You know, we have Christ, and I get that, but man, these differences are the ones that matter to me. We come from different places. We are not going to see everything the same way all the time. We're going to have different sensibilities about things, maybe even different convictions on important issues. What should our fundamental posture be toward one another, toward those who are also in Christ? It must be love. It must be love. And so if that's a struggle for you today with someone, perhaps even someone else in this room, it may be that you need to confess that as sin before God. Sin against what God has made you and made them in Christ. And we can come with the full assurance that he will forgive us. Because we belong to him. And then ask for help from the Holy Spirit to have love for all the saints, not just the ones who look like you or smell like you or talk like you or act like you. I don't know if any of you smell like each other, except in the same houses. Our kids help us know that. I'm not that good at that, and they walk in, it's like, oh yeah, that's that smell. Okay. So whatever our differences and how strongly we feel them, if we are both in Christ, that's the deepest, truest thing about us and how we relate to each other. We will get along forever. We may as well start now. So ask for help from the Holy Spirit to have love for all the saints, not only the ones with whom you agree about everything or whose personalities naturally click with yours. Because the gospel of Christ is a true, powerful message of grace and hope that produces faith in Christ and love for all who are in Christ. So do you know the truth of the gospel? 
Do you know the power of the gospel? Do you know the grace of the gospel? It is a gift. Do you know the hope of the gospel? That you are assured of life with God and all his people forever. Do you know it for forever? And do you know it for today? Hearing and understanding the grace of God in truth and the hope of Jesus Christ leads to faith and love. And it's powerful as it's shared. Remember to thank and bless God for those who brought you the good news. And if you still can, maybe thank them too. And then consider who this week will know the gracious, powerful gospel of Christ and come to hear it and understand it because God has given me the boldness and the zeal to give it to them. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for this good news about Jesus. Thank you that he has triumphed and will triumph. Thank you that in him we will triumph too, even if today feels like defeat. And so would you give us grace? We thank you for the gift of salvation in Christ. If there's one who is with us today who has not yet received that gift by faith, would you open their hearts to believe? And for those who are believing, would you continue to work in us to believe this good news? Would you work faith in us? Would you work love for all the saints in us? For your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.